When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the Climate Blue Podcast. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined here this morning live on YouTube for the first time in a long time with John Townley. John, how are you, pal? You okay? Yeah, doing thanks. Uh, doing well, thank you, Dan. Um, yeah, big game tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> Cut that out, we'll start again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the bonus for doing it live. Um, yeah, big game tomorrow night, press conference in about an hour or two. So um, we're not going to rush this, of course. But uh, yeah, let's see what Unai says about the many subjects that are, I say, up in the air maybe at the moment. Um, lots of different questions that fans would like to ask, I'm sure. So hopefully we can get some good answers from Unai later. Yeah, it's uh, a busy week for Villa, isn't it, with two games against Newcastle United and Sheffield United, and it feels like a busy Monday already, and we're only at 11 o'clock. Uh, as you said, there's plenty of subjects to talk about, and I've got about 10 questions in front of me here. We are live as well, by the way, uh, so if any come through whilst we're on air, uh, we'll probably go off in a few different tangents as well. As you said, the Unai press conference is like early this afternoon, so there's going to be some things here that we might talk about when people catch up with this podcast new information is already out and things maybe are out of date already so there's some things that we won't speculate on for the sake of speculation Uh, and starting with speculation let's talk about Jacob Ramsey to begin with Uh, the first question is from Dibsy who says hi Dan and John on Jacob Ramsey can you please tell us that the open to sell line is nonsense all fans really want is a homegrown player to be part of the success, and FFP is killing any chance of competing with this Sky Six year in, year out. And I think you can take that in two, two answers, really. We could talk about the kind of desire for a homegrown player second. The Jacob Ramsey stuff, as I said, it's been a busy morning. It's all really only came out today. Uh, David Ornstein, kind of the, the oracle of transfers, alongside Fabrizio Romano, reporting that Newcastle had got an interest for Jacob Ramsey or, or had made an approach, I think was the line. And then Eddie Howe's had an early morning press conference and when asked about it, he said, that is incorrect. So kind of a story out of nowhere and then quashed within an hour or so. Is that the situation? Is that as much as we know? As much as we know so far, again, obviously, you know, I was speaking to the media later and I don't expect him to be adding too much context to it. However, <laughs> what I would say is that we've obviously known for um, a period of time now that Villa's FFP situation isn't, you know, severe, not as severe as Newcastle's who know that they're going to have to sell a big asset or maybe a couple. Um, and that's kind of my first point of why I was surprised that Newcastle were linked because they'd have to sell someone for big money to bring in a £50 million player or, you know, at least £50 million um, is the kind of price tag on Ramsey if that report is to, believe, to be believed. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, we are aware that for Villa to grow and to improve, they have to work their way 
to try and compete with these big six teams and it is a bit of a cartel let's you know not beat around the bush i'm going to ask emery later about um you know, does he think the rules are fair? Because Villa are trying to compete with those teams whose revenue streams are... Yeah, their rev- the revenue streams are... You know, the Deloitte uh, Money League came out last week. Tottenham's revenue is more than double Villa's. It's um, it's staggering. Like It really kind of puts it into perspective. Villa can do all they can on the pitch, but they are limited, and that's just true. Um in terms of how they can compete in the market and improve as a football club until they can get those revenue streams that you know Newcastle are also trying to strive for as well. Like Villa, for example, have obviously spent a lot of money, um, more so than, for example, Brighton, who obviously make a lot of money as well. Um, and, you know, between our revenues, their revenue isn't so much uh, less than what ours is, especially when you compare us to the big six, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So Villa have got a massive way to go to kind of being a club that's able to spend lots of money every year without thinking oh this academy graduates you know gonna have to leave or whatever and I'll say straight away I don't know what Villa's books are I don't think anyone does unless you're told from you know someone within the club um so I'm not gonna suggest that I'm you know know exactly the situation because I don't but what I would say is that we know that because we're not (laughs) big six you know as you said earlier Dan we're not one of those clubs our revenue streams are less and if we want to compete then we are gonna have to balance the books somewhere um, along the line don't get me wrong I'd be surprised if Jacob Ramsey was to go especially in the coming days uh, that's not something that I'd expect however if um, David Ornstein is correct and I don't you know have no reason to uh, doubt that he is um, that he isn't correct sorry then Villa will apparently need to make some sort of money before June to comply to comply. Sorry, with the PSR, and that's not to suggest that that money can't be raised elsewhere. Obviously, Villa have got mm. more assets in their team, but we all know that pure profit, fifty million pounds as an academy um, graduate on the books, that is attractive in terms of you know that side of it, which. It, I don't even like talking about it because it just it makes me feel quite sick because you look at Chelsea, what they're doing. Um, other clubs as well. Um, you know, some fans of other teams will tell you they're, they're in a crisis. <laughs> Chelsea not getting Champions League, Man United falling away. It's it's honestly, it's um, it's laughable compared to the situation that we would be in and that Newcastle are in. We're trying to get to that level um, and we're, you know, looking behind our shoulders thinking, what we're going to have to do with this team? Do we have to sell some of our academy players, our star assets, just to bring some more in and you know balance the books? That's the situation that it is. Um, but again, I don't know for certain where the truth is in terms of Villa have to sell this amount of, um, or oh, sorry, raise this amount of cash to comply with FAP. I don't know that situation, and I wouldn't suggest that I do. Um, mm. But see what happens in the you know in the coming days. I suppose Emery will speak about it. I don't know how. <laughs> at what length um but it's not a situation that's particularly pleasant because you just don't want that you know to kind of kind of cloud your season in a way because we're doing so well and then this report comes out that overly need to raise a bit of money it's just not something that you want to um be reading about but yeah hopefully more will come out in the um coming days and you know yeah it's um it's one of those ones that I mentioned at the start. We don't want to speculate. We don't want to talk about specific numbers or, or selling certain individuals or, or where Villa are in comparison to other clubs. The way Eddie Howe was speaking about Newcastle was like, if we sign anyone, we have to let somebody go. 
Now, yeah. I don't see that being the case for Villa. We're obviously linked with Morgan Rogers quite heavily, and we'll talk about him later on in the show. There's no talk that, well, before we can agree that deal, we have to get rid of somebody now. Um, Villa selling players in the summer? Yeah, possibly. Like we've all talked before, haven't we? Douglas Louise, 100 million to Arsenal, or whoever it is. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the way that Villa get funds in. Champions League qualification would be hugely important, and that will go some way to bringing some amount of funds in. Getting rid of Bertrand Troy's wages, someone like um, Callum Chambers, whoever it is, there's ways to make money before making a big sale. But as you say, selling an academy, academy graduate, it's pure profit, isn't it, on the accountancy books or, or whatever the phrase is. Um, so that's like an, an easy way. It's almost a, an easy link that club needs to make money sell a homegrown player like that's an easy way to do it uh, whether that's, that's necessarily that's true or not is, is something we'll, we'll have to wait and see do I think Jacob Ramsey will leave before the deadline this week absolutely not I'd be surprised by that could he leave in the summer yeah possibly uh, who knows I think this idea that I had a tweet before based off the back of this question uh, asking whether like it was true or like it was a kind of a sad state of affairs to have um, you know they'll have to sell an academy product to go and buy an academy product from Middlesbrough like that, that seems like such a flawed system or like selling a Cameron Archer and then going to buy someone else's uh, youngsters it just seems like a strange thing why not keep hold of your own youngsters and develop those this kind of like sell to buy and open to offers and stuff. I think that's everyone, is it not? Like, is that not it's most clubs now? Put it this way: if Bayern Munich offered sixty million for Jacob Ramsey in the summer, Villa would consider selling him because it's sixty million pure profit. Uh, yeah. You know, the kind of the immediacy of the situation of um, at least the Nornstein's report suggesting that Villa have to meet something by June to comply with FFP. That I think kind of makes it a bit of a. Um, you know, a kind of a panic, if that makes sense. And that's why I'm suggesting that I don't know. I don't know how much Villa would have to raise or if that's true or whatever. That I'm kind of, um, you know, that's reported by Onstein and that's, you know, fine. But what we, what we do know is that if big money comes in for a Villa player in the summer, that will be considered, even if it is Jacob Ramsey who is an, uh, who is an academy product. And if PSR didn't exist, Nesef Suarez and Wes Edens wouldn't consider selling an academy player yeah, because, of course, yeah. because of what it means to the club, because of what it, um, you know, what it means to the area, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and everyone wants to uh, kind of look at that player. For example, Conor Gallagher as well with Chelsea. That's why they'd probably consider selling him because um, they know that that, again, would look good for their books. So that's the situation. If someone offers big money for Jacob Ramsey, Villa will consider that. And mm. if it's deemed you know, a good enough offer, Jacob Ramsey will leave the club. It's just that simple, and that that's nothing to do with, um, you know, the report that's come out today. That those are just the facts of the situation. It's the same for every player in the team. Um, again, because PSR is so relevant right now, especially for Villa, who have spent a lot of money and are trying to close that gap and bridge the gap between themselves and the big six. Not necessarily on the pitch, because where are we at the moment? Fourth. Um, hopefully, we can finish in the Champions League positions this season. But for the revenue. Yeah, that will help. It is very important. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm not sitting here suggesting that we are going to sell our players all of a sudden. Um, and that is something that has to happen. Ornstein's report suggests that we will have to sell some players. Okay. But then my kind of side of it is that if a big offer came in for any of our players in the summer, that will have to be considered irrelevant of the news of today. That Those are just the facts that we knew weeks ago. So I don't want it to be like a huge panic. However, I am, I'll admit, I don't know the the situation in terms of what we need to raise before June, for example, mm. which was suggested yeah. in its column. 
Um, and I wouldn't know because I don't have access to the books or anything and I haven't been told by anyone either. Um, so I'm not yeah. going to speculate over that. But we will ask Emery and we'll try and get answers. Um, but I think that's something that we'll see more so in the next coming days, next weeks, uh, about what that situation is. Yeah, spot on. I think that's a nice way to kind of summarise the situation without being too uh, heavy on speculation and kind of guessing. I don't want to come across that we're spouting truth and that we know what we're talking about. Not saying that we don't know anything, but we're not going to guess at certain things. Um, right, next question. I'm going to leave you to it, John, for a second because there's someone at the door. I think I know who it is, so I'll only be a second. Uh, Jack says, do you think Villa have performed at their peak level yet or is there still more to come? I'll be back in two minutes. Okay. Have a look from the peak level, or is there more to come? I think there is more to come. To be honest, I think you look at the last couple of weeks and teams are respecting Villa more. They're forcing Villa to play differently, and that is something that I don't doubt Unai Emery would have uh, expected to happen. The loss of Paul Torres as well has been you know, huge, in my opinion. But the next evolution of Villa is being... You know, a group of players who can adapt in different situations. We've seen how Emery's changed how we played from last season. It's been quite drastic, the way that we, um, not just the high line, but the way that we dominate in the opposition half. And that is, you know, a big reason of that is Paul Torres, right? And he's been missing recently. So I think kind of twofold, the first evolution of that is Villa need to adapt to different opponents. We've seen Sheffield United um, kind of, you know, nullify us. We've seen Burnley, Burnley, sorry, do that to an extent. And yes, I think Villa were tired from games previously in December. Um, but there's certainly kind of food for thought for other clubs to come to Villa Park and play in that way. And that's why I think the second half of the season is going to be so difficult. And then the other part of that is that, you know, Villa need to be doing it without their key players as well. All the top teams, when they are missing some of their top players, different players will come in and they'll have different ways of playing. Um, and that's not to suggest that Villa have to have like a, completely drastic kind of plan B, but it's stepping up players like Longley, different players. Um, you know, Taylor Mins was missing for a bit and I definitely missed him as well and how he progressed the ball. So I think, as I say, twofold, adapting to when you don't have your top players and then also adapting to the opposition as well because Villa, Villa are now one of the best teams in the Premier League, especially this season. So other teams will look at us and they'll see us as that scalp they will come to Villa Park knowing the record that we've got. I think if we avoid the fit against Newcastle and Man United and Forest, that will be a year um, of no league defeats at Villa Park. So, uh, what have we won? 16 out of 17 as well. So, um, yeah, people are starting to respect us more. And I think away from home as well, I, I'll say it again, I don't recall us actually playing kind of particularly well in any game. We've had some good results, um, but I can't look at one performance and suggest that it's, you know, a kind of nine out of 10, everyone um, played their role to perfection. And that isn't something that you have to have away from home when your home form's so good. Um, but Villa have definitely got some work to do still, um, even though it's been a sensational season so far. Well, John, I'm sure that was a brilliant answer, but I didn't hear any of it. I ran up, down, ran up and down the stairs twice. I'm out of breath, but we'll move on with the rest of the show. I'll compose myself. There's there are two questions here in one. Probably you might have touched some of the, on some of this from the last question. If you have, we'll, we'll move straight past them. Uh, from Floyd, who said, the last half dozen games or so have been a struggle. Do you think we have hit our ceiling? Or is there more to come from the team once injuries are behind us? And Dan says... Uh, Christ, I'm really out of breath. That's, that's a problem. Uh, are you concerned about the recent drop-off in performance levels? Feels as though we've lost our spark in attack, but wondering if the absence of Paul Torres could be a big reason why. Is that fair? 
yeah, c- covers most of what I just said then, to be fair. Um, the loss of Torres is uh, certainly been kind of a huge blow for Villa. Um, what I'm more frustrated at is that he's obviously come back twice now, really, kind of come back in the Burnley game and aggravated his injury, then come back into training and aggravated it a bit more. Again, I'll be speaking to Emery later and he'll give an update on Torres, but that needs to be sorted because, you know, you're looking at a player now who's missed, what, pretty much a month or so, nearly. or No, it's more than a month now. Um, month of action, really. And, um, yeah, he needs to be fit because he is crucial to Villa. And in terms of us kind of struggling or not kind of lighting up the world as we were at the start of the season, I can live with that as long as we're getting results. And I did put a fair amount of kind of attribution to our um, kind of struggles towards the end of the year down to fitness. You know, we, we look a bit, a bit lethargic mentally as well as, as much as physically. So I need to see um, in the next couple of weeks, you know, how are Villa going to step up to play in Newcastle, which obviously last year we kind of blitzed in 3-0 and um, one of the best performances Villa have had you know, really in years, uh, years gone by. So, um, and Sheffield United away too. So how are we going to perform in those games? Because we shouldn't be physically, um, you know, uh, fatigued or anything like that. So, yeah. And then the other part, as I just mentioned earlier, teams are respecting Villa more. Villa are now seen as a Champions League contender. If we played Brighton tomorrow at home, would we win 6-1 against them again? I don't think so, because they be more respectful of us they wouldn't go toe to toe that sort of thing so um, it will be a very difficult second half of the season and this is why it's so important at the moment to keep chipping away at those points because once the conference league starts up again and we've got more games to play maybe we'll go on an FA Cup run if we can win our next two home games we're in the court final aren't we so um, there's going to be lots of games potentially to be played that's then more pressure on the on the players to perform in the Premier League as well so it's going to be a very hectic second half of the season so you'd hope that in the next couple of games, we're looking to get their points um, and kind of prove that, okay, you know, they've adapted and they are as um, impressive as they were at the start of the season, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think when we talk about like a peak of Aston Villa, like that Man City game, it's like been the best, hasn't it? That's kind of been like the benchmark. And it has been difficult since then. You know, dropped points against Sheffield United, threw away the lead at Man United, uh, the nil-nil uh, Chelsea, which is fair, we talked about it for the FA Cup. It's not the end, end of the world because you've got the replay. It was never going to be an easy game per se, but it just feels like the, the mood has, has dropped a little bit. Um, I don't know, it's like Dan here in the comments on Facebook, but this mood is, is generally seen a lot across social media. He says, I really think we'll start to drop off now. We don't look the same team as before Christmas and others are starting to see through our game plan. And there's an element of that that, that I do agree with, that not that we've been not found out, but we struggle against a certain uh, a certain way of playing from the opposition. If they're going to sit in deep, we, we struggle against that. So you kind of think, well, that's the way to stop Villa. That's the way to beat them. Um, I don't think we'll drop off to the extent that we fall out of the top five, which would still be a huge achievement for us. But that, like that, that kind of opinion is still um, quite widely out there that, that Villa might yeah. struggle a bit now. But that's why I think in the next couple of weeks it's going to be so important because that's going to tell us, is it um, or was Villa's kind of you know drop off to an extent? Although we've only lost two games in you know however long, but because we were winning all the time and it was so kind of euphoric and Villa were playing so well and scoring so many goals. We've scored once in three games now, um, but we've had a bit of a break. We've had a bit of downtime. We should be, you know, energised, ready to go again. So I think now we'll, you know, we'll know a Villa 
going to adapt in the second half of the season or was it just kind of, as I said, mental fatigue? They needed a break. If we go out and beat Newcastle, you know, convincingly, we win at Sheffield United. The kind of comments about Villa not being able to adapt and they're going to struggle again, I think they go away, to be honest, until we then draw a game. So I think it's a... I, I totally agree, by the way, with what Dan said, but I think it's a bit reactionary to say that we are going to drop off. I don't think we know that yet. I, I think there's a reason to suggest it, but let's see what happens in the next month or so of games. Um, you know, if we beat Man United and Newcastle, all of a sudden we have a huge gap towards those two, those two teams. Fifth place, you know, is ours really then. Mm-hmm. It, of course, we have to do our um, job and there's lots of games to play. But if we can beat those teams, if we can get something at Sheffield United, which won't be easy, um, then I wouldn't suggest as a reason to say that we're going to drop off. I think it's just what's going to happen in the next coming week. So I understand the sentiment from what we've seen in the last month. Um, but, you know, this is this is now for me the second half of the season and it's going to be very difficult. But if Villa can get their points over the next two months before the Conference League really starts to ramp up again, then they're going to be in a good place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on. Uh, next question is from Radioactive Duck, which might be the best username I've seen for a while. He says, more podcast related than Villa, but I've been binging the Football Manager series on uh, the streams that you did. Any chance of that series coming back? Uh, we have mentioned a few times that we wanted to bring this back. And me and Dan Bardell spoke a few times about, oh, can we record next week? Oh, no, I'm too busy. What about the week after? Oh, then I'm too busy. And we just never found a, a date to, to get it in the bag. We did talk about doing like a January transfer one and things like that. So it was considered, but we're just both very busy at the moment to now down a, a definitive yes to that. Um, I would love to because it's fun to do and we both enjoyed it. Um, but we were both very busy with various different things. I'm more busy at work now than I was before with uh, different responsibilities that I won't go into. So I would love to, but I can't give a, a, dif- a definitive answer on that one. And probably the next question doesn't have a definitive answer either from you, John. A simple one from Ben any news on the new crest yet and we thought at one stage it was coming imminently when we spoke about this maybe at the back end of december or the start of january that villa had said in the new year and it felt like it could be like this week and then it all went very quiet um is that the, is that the last, the last yeah, update? I, <laughs> yeah there's no update the, the next update i presume will be when the badge is officially unveiled um it was shown to the fan board days before it got leaked. So um, that's kind of, <laughs> it's not the latest. Well, that is the latest news, although it was a while ago. Um, Heck said that it would be the start of the year and um, kind of inferred that it would be imminently. So yeah, still waiting for it any day now. <laughs> but although we have been saying that for the last couple of weeks, um, that should be the case. I don't know if there is a hold up. I don't know why that would be the case. But um, yeah, it should be any time now. Yeah, and we'll say that again in six weeks' time when we ask the question and it's still not out. Could be any time. Uh, next up is John, who says, there's two questions here. Uh, we'll answer them separately. Did you watch any of the India versus England cricket? Are you into cricket? Uh, to be honest, I'm not. Um, my attention span is not nowhere near long enough to <laughs> watch cricket. Uh, no, I was watching the Black Country Derby. I saw England mm. were doing well, um, which is great. But... Yeah, sorry, John. I don't watch uh, cricket. Unfortunately, I don't tend to watch many of the sports proper football. I mean, I watch Wimbledon. Um, <laughs> although obviously that's tennis, uh, and I watch the, and I watch boxing, watch the darts at Christmas. But there's not much else that I watch. Yeah, watch the big football. events of other sports. Yeah, it's too absorbed. Football's too absorbing. Like for me, anyway, mm. I can't. You know, I, I saw Sinner won the. Um, 
tennis like was it the Australian Open I think I, I didn't watch that but I no, yeah. some highlights and stuff but there's no um I have no appetite to wake up in the early hours as whatever to watch I used to watch the F1 to be fair until that got extremely yeah. boring with the staff yeah. and all the time and I get you know fair plays he's good at F1 <laughs> but like <laughs> I think that sort of sport needs competition it needs um a bit of a bit of rivalry sorry um, mm. but no it's football's enough I think to be honest apart from any yeah. other sport it's, um, it's too much involved in it like these days you need to be a, a bloody accountant to work out transfers and stuff don't you know there's, there's too much it's not just you know, three o'clock on a Saturday anymore, is it? It's every day of the week. There's uh, there's news and stuff to write about in our job anyway. So um, I was going to yeah. say, that's part of the job as well. I imagine as a fan, you could probably switch up more so than we could. Um, but yeah, I don't, cricket, no go. F1, I do watch uh, more so than you do. Tennis, so yeah, maybe would watch like the Wimbledon final, maybe like the, the darts finals and stuff maybe watch the big like the big events just because everyone's talking about it I feel like I have to but cricket I don't actually like it either so even if everyone was talking about it I wouldn't feel like I need to watch three days of test cricket or whatever it is yeah it's not it's not bad cricket like you know I I like parts of it it's just a bit too slow the one that I don't get is the um the NFL I just don't understand it no idea I know a lot of people like it and they like the kind of everything that goes around it but I only ever watched the Super Bowl, like 10 minutes of the Super Bowl, sorry, um, every year. And they'll have like a massive build-up for it and everyone's getting hyped and like psyched for it. And then all of a sudden they have a break like two seconds into the match. <laughs> and I'm like, what was that about? <laughs> and then they all go back and do a team talk and it happens every two minutes. So, yeah, I don't know how you can kind of get in, get into that sort of thing. Like you need yeah. to be like, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah, football is the sport for me and that won't be changing. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, the second part of John's question was, you must be happy with the FA Cup draw. Um, now, yep. The first part of the show was about uh, performances and on the pitch. The middle part of the show is about the FA Cup and the last part of the show will be back to transfers. Uh, the FA Cup draw is pretty good, wasn't it? Home again uh, in the next yep. round if we get past Chelsea, which is nice, against lower league opposition again, which again, something Villa don't really tend to get, although we don't get past the third round, so we don't get opportunity to do that. Yep. It always just feels like Villa play away against a bigger club. Uh, or sorry, above them in the league. Uh, and it's the way around now. We're at home against lower league opposition. If we get past Chelsea in the home game, that's the replay, which I feel like we will. Uh, it's Leeds or Plymouth in the uh, in the fifth round, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good. Yeah, happy with that. Yeah, two games away from a quarterfinal, then one game away from Wembley. So it's, yeah, the draw itself for Villa was you know, brilliant. A home to a lower league side, you can't ask for much more than that. However, the only thing I'd say is the rest of the draw um, wasn't good, if that makes sense, because none of the big teams are really playing. If Villa get past uh, Chelsea, then they get past Leeds or Plymouth. There's a high probability you're playing, you know, City, Liverpool, Newcastle, Brighton or Wolves. Um, There's another decent side in there as well, but forget who. Uh, Man United, did I say them? And then you've got like a Coventry maybe. So there's like a one in seven chance we could get, you know, a, a team that um, would be favourites. Well, no, no, not favourites. It would be favourites to beat a Bournemouth or a Wolves or Brighton, I think. But you get my gist, you know. I yeah, think yeah. if Villa are at home in the quarterfinal, you know, unless it's against the Liverpool or Man City, I'd back us um, to get to Wembley then. So it is exciting if Villa can get the next two rounds out of the way and we're drawn at home, then all of a sudden you're thinking, right, you know, let's, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's get to Wembley. And again, that won't be easy because Chelsea, you know, 
they haven't been great away from home. We have been good at home. But while I put us as favourites for that game, I'm not particularly convinced that we're going to... I don't know. I just got a bit of a funny feeling that domestic cups just aren't happening. Um, yeah, I don't think it'll be easy, but... No. Like, oh, Chelsea mid-table now. Like, they've still got good players and the, the away leg showed that they they will make moments and create chances. Hmm. Um, I'd like to think Paul Torres might be back for that Chelsea game. We're at home. We're, we're then a better side. So, yeah, possibly. Who knows? Uh, I think hmm. we'll get through against Chelsea. I think we should get through against lower league opposition, but no, absolutely no guarantees at all. So, I won't We need a bit of luck in that. If, if we get through, we yeah. just need a bit of luck in that draw for the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, you just don't want to go be going to a Premier League team. I think that will be very difficult. But um, yeah, good draw, good draw, and uh, hopefully we go all the way. Of course, but I just yeah, I don't want to start talking about possible quarterfinals and possible Wembley dates when we still got to get through two a replay first, which I, I do still think we will do. But yeah, two games before we even talk about quarterfinal. Never mind a semi. Um, Adrian says, discuss the ticket prices for the Chelsea FA Cup replay. I'm hopeful that it's not on the Everton scale again. Do you feel like yeah. the club may have learned a lesson from that Everton League Cup tickets that they need to price the Chelsea replay reasonably or fairly? Although they probably would, they'd probably claim that the Everton uh, tickets were priced reasonably, but the fan outrage, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, would say otherwise. Is it going to be a, a twenty-five pound ticket for a replay? Or is it a forty-five yeah. one? How, what do you think they'll do? The Everton game was. Um... Well, it was, a, it was a disaster, really, because the atmosphere, the crowd, it just was. It didn't feel like a cup game, and the Carabao Cup, we said previously, was you know that's a great route to <clears throat> to get to a final and have something to win early in the season because uh, it wouldn't have. I don't think it would have affected us in the group stage. I think we would have topped it anyway. So um, that was very frustrating, and you know whether the club will price the tickets differently or not, I don't know. Um, we'll find out pretty soon, I presume, and. If I'm going to be honest, I don't think there will be a huge difference to what it was against Everton because that was the price of a cup game at home. And we're playing Chelsea as well, who will be classed as a kind of, I don't know what the categories are called anymore, but, you know, one of the top categories. Yeah, whether it's a replay or not, I don't really think that comes into it, to be honest. So, um, yeah, we'll find out. But do I expect a major difference in prices? No, I don't. No, I would I would like again the club to be the club that goes, I'm gonna make a difference here and do something different and say fifteen pound tickets for a replay and really build fill it out and make a great atmosphere and get us through to you know, it's a obviously every cup game is a one game shootout to the next round, but when you've got the opportunity to have a replay, it's like, okay, now this is the final time. If we lose this, this is it. Uh, get you know, everything on your side to get us through that game with a kind of tasty looking next round lower league opposition tie in front of you as well. So I'd love us to do something like that and say cheap tickets, let's fill the house and get a rocking atmosphere. But mm. uh, when we also talk about the club needing to make as much revenue as possible, maybe they do need to say 40 quid a ticket, 45 quid a ticket and, and hope that that still brings in a decent number. Who knows? Yeah, it's 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 re- it's a horrible argument to make. I mean, you are right. I don't mean you're horrible. It's a horrible argument to make about the kind of, you know, we talk about FFP, PSR, whatever it's called, uh, Villa needing to make revenue and then it kind of has to come back on the fans and you think, well, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's that's football nowadays, unfortunately. It's a business and no one likes it. Um, but yeah, we won't get drawn into that conversation now, but um, if they price it as high as they did for Everton, 
there's a reason why they've done it. And um, it's not that they don't want Villa Park to sell out. They think it will sell enough tickets if whatever they price it at. There's a strategy behind it, but it would just be unfortunate again if they do that because there is a cost of living crisis and it's an effect of replay. Although Villa can go far in the competition, I think, um, yeah, there's a pricing strategy and, and that's it, which is a shame. Yeah, um, we'll talk about more. We'll talk about the Chelsea game replay specifically. It'll be next midweek, won't it? I think it's looking like it's going to be the Wednesday. Uh, mm-hmm. Villa play on the Saturday this weekend. Chelsea play on the Sunday against Wolves. So we assumed it was going to be Wednesday the seventh. I think it is. Um, so we'll talk about that more on next week's Monday show, which might be an in-person one. Unsure at the moment. Uh, on with the rest of the questions then this one from the Welsh Brummy who says do you see Tim Irabunum playing better in a defensive midfield partnership with Douglas Louise or Bubakar Kamara <laughs> good question I haven't actually thought of specifically like who we'd play with um, at QPR last season he wasn't you know, Tim kind of comes across as a player who was a holding midfielder because he's played there uh, as a as a young player and for the uh, England age groups as well. But for QPR, he had the kind of license for, you know, he had a bit of freedom. He'd be going forward. He wouldn't be kind of, you know, playing as a six necessarily, just standing in front of the um, back line. So I think, to be honest, <laughs> to be able to cop out, but I think you can use him in either situation, which I think is a big plus. Um He's obviously versatile in that respect. However, I think we need to see what Emery wants of him yet. And he's played about four minutes this season, so we don't know. Um, he can do both. Uh, but again, I, whether, what I know in terms of will he play better with Louise or Kamara, I'd, you know, if you take either one of those out of your team, there's a huge um, gap in terms of Louise comes out, where's the creativity? And if Kamara comes out, where's the that kind of defensive um, now. So I think that's something that Tim has. So I'd probably say him and Louise would probably be better as a duo. Um, but again, it depends on the context of the game. If Villa want to, you know, shut up shop or whatever, then bring um, Tim on and you're not going to take Kamara off, are you? So I think it depends on the context. What's for sure is that Tim won't be starting games unless, of course, um, there's an, you know, Kamara's unavailable. Um, I'm a bit surprised that he's given him the, the kind of trust because, not because I don't rate Tim, I think he's a good player. He's got a lot to learn, but because he's only played once this season and granted oh. he was, you know, injured at the start and therefore had limited opportunity to um, kind of make an impression. But Emery's clearly seen something <clears throat> to kind of give him, as I say, that trust. Uh, I was just a bit surprised to hear him say that Villa wouldn't be going after another midfielder. I, I hope the Dendonka decision doesn't, you know, or we're not kicking ourselves after that because I think that's a player that we could have sold in the summer anyway. Um, there's no guarantee that Napoli actually buy him for, what is it, £8 million, which would, you know, I think that would be a, a good sale. Um, but I just think Villa have got such a busy, potentially busy, hopefully busy anyway, second half of the season. You know, I think Dendonka would have been, you know, <laughs> I think we could have kept him for the rest of the season, put it that way. And it just, it, it, it's an option that I think we'd rather have than not, but clearly uh, Emery doesn't think so. So I'll trust this decision over mine. Hmm. Just as a, a as an offshoot to the Irabunan question, this is the kind of reason yeah. I put it in really. I saw a, a conversation on social media before we started, which I'm going to call a conspiracy theory, which is totally unfair because it could be a genuine uh, thought uh, that somebody has had that could turn out to be true. But for now, I'll go with conspiracy theory. They were talking about, this is off the back of the Jacob Ramsey uh, story, the first thing in The Athletic and the line about Villa need to make up some kind of money before June, worst of effect. Um, and they were suggesting that Kane Kessler-Hayden has come back uh, into the squad 
Likewise, Timo Rabunam is staying around because they're homegrown players and you have to have a certain homegrown quota, which Villa you know, don't have loads of. So if Jacob Ramsey was to leave, they kind of take his place in the squad, which I say conspiracy theory, that makes sense. That's fine. I don't think Ramsey will leave in January anyway. Um, so I don't think that's relevant for now, but I, I can see where that they've kind of seen the dots and thought they'd connect. That's fine. The other yeah. side of it, they called it, and I don't know who this is, by the way. I should have should have found it again before we started to give them the credit uh, in case this is true. Um, but they also said it was like a plumping up or like a fattening process, like a turkeys at Christmas. You feed them loads of stuff to make them fat, and they sell them for more money. Um, but like you get somebody like Kane, Kessa Hayden back into Villa or keep Tim Irubinum to play, fatten them up, get them ready to then sell them. That like the Cameron Archer, Aaron Ramsey kind of process. That's what, what has football like. become. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, God. yeah. And that's that. That's the workaround. Yeah. Rather than selling your Bubakar Kamara for seventy million, you make Tim Rubinum a ten million player. You make Aiden <laughs> a twelve million player, and you sell them off with buyback clauses, as we've seen with Archer and Ramsey and Philogene. That's the way that Villa make profit now. They find good youngsters for very cheap or academy products, fatten them up. And then sell them for probably small fees in the in the grand scheme of things, but enough to just keep Villa ticking over. Is yeah, that, is, I, that, is that a conspiracy theory or is that a possibility? It's of course it's a possibility. The only thing I'd say is that you know Kane Kessler Hayden is only going to play if cash is unavailable, and only going to play if it's in a game that suits what he gives, which is obviously an attacking. Um, you know, he, he would be an attacking outlet like Cash is when he plays on the right and concert players when Villa want to be more defensively secure. Those are the words of Emery. So um, I don't think Kessler Hayden, for example, his price will increase necessarily in the next few weeks and months unless he makes such an impression that he's actually playing um, yeah. and contributing. Tim, yes, he could play more games again, but I just, I go back to the Den Long thing. I just think, you know, if you had to select between the two to come on and nullify a game, I think he'd choose the um, Dendonka, I think. But again, I'm not one to um, kind of undermine any decision that Monchi or Emery makes. It's just just my opinion. Um, but no, the comment is correct. You know, Villa, again, we've just spoken about Ramsey and pure profit. That is the way to to raise money <clears throat> if you have to balance your books on PSR. So we'll see. Um, I think probably those players playing games week in, week out in the championship would probably be more beneficial for them if we wanted to sell them just my opinion um but i understand for sure the kind of you know that argument hmm. we're going to talk about morgan rogers next there's three questions for him uh, there's also one that's coming as we're live about unai emery that i have to get out of the way because i'm i'm fearful that we might run out of time and miss it i'm surprised that no one asked this on twitter when i asked for questions yesterday from nate wiggin who says are you worried about liverpool or barcelona coming in for unai emery I'm amazed that's the first time anyone's asked that question and it wasn't brought up earlier. Uh, we've spoken a lot about Unai Emery on this podcast over the last 18 months, naturally. Some of those are big, glowing, gushing, oh, we love this man, he can do no wrong podcasts. Uh, and that's fair enough, in my opinion. He's done miracles at Aston Villa, uh, to, yeah. to my eyes. And we've spoken a lot about how he's been given all the tools at Villa to to succeed. The whole club is essentially built around him. The owners have put a lot of faith in him. Um, they've given him some money to spend, of course. Uh, they've given him the tools to, to to do his job better. They've got his staff in. They've got Munchie in with him, who he knows. They've got Damien Vidagani in there, who he knows well. Um, they've got shares, or whatever the phrase is, in Royal Union, the Unai Emery's family club. They've done a lot of things for this man to make me feel like he's not going to go, oh, the Liverpool job's available. 
see you later. <laughs> the Barcelona job is available. See you later. I'm going to go for that now. Yeah. Barcelona, Barcelona won slightly more so. I think I could see him managing Barcelona or Real Madrid more so than a Liverpool. Um, but the current iteration of Barcelona, who have basically no money to spend, I don't see that working out at all for an Emery, especially now. Like, why leave now? Maybe five years' time? Possibly, yes. Liverpool's an interesting one. I actually don't think they would go for Emery. Um, and I don't think he would go there. It reeks to me of like replacing Wenger at Arsenal, which he's already done once. You, you know, you kind of want to be the guy after the replacement, don't you? You want to be the replacement after Klopp rather than yeah. the direct replacement to him. Uh, you want to be after David Moyes at Man United rather than after Ferguson. However, having said all that, and I'm not saying this is a case for him to go, I do feel like Liverpool and the way they treat a manager is what would suit Unai Emery to a certain extent that you kind of become the figurehead at a club like that. And I think that that suits Emery. However, he's got that here at Villa. So why? I know Liverpool are Liverpool and what they are, but why Why ditch the Villa project 18 months in for Liverpool? Do, do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Um, firstly, on Barcelona, I've said this before, but I don't think Emery doing what he's done at Villa for the last 18 months or so I don't think that um, 18 months sorry not that far 14 months or so now isn't it what he's done I don't think that kind of tells Barcelona or anyone in Spain anything about Emery that they didn't know already I think it was mm. only people in England that um, needed to kind of be taught a lesson I suppose about Emery and football um, so I don't you know I, I think Barcelona would have probably gone for Emery before if they thought he was the man Um and just on top of that as well, Emery needs a structure to work in. We've seen how what he's done at Villa in terms of, as you say, Damian and Monchi, other people as well, the scouts he's brought into the club and the connections that NSWE have um, kind of forged since he's been appointed. None of that applies at Barcelona. And I understand that Barcelona are one of the biggest clubs in world football, but Emery wouldn't, even if they offered him it. You know, Do I know what he'd say? Of course I don't, unless... Um, He's asked it in. in him, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to let him know that the Barcelona job's going uh, going up for grabs. But uh, <laughs> he would think, you know, straight away. Well, what power do I have, and what who am I working with? And Barcelona at the moment are one of the worst run clubs. Um, not, you know, not not comparable to some of the teams in League Two in England. So I, I just mean, <laughs> yeah. but in terms of, of, their, of the big boys of the of the big clubs, yeah, how they, Liverpool, yeah. everyone, Barcelona will be at the bottom of that list of an attractive yeah, yeah, yeah. proposition. Yeah, because of the, how they use the finance and where they think they're yeah. going as a club. It's, there's, there's no direction at all. Um, yeah, and then on Liverpool again, <clears throat> I don't think they would go for Emery anyway, if I'm being totally honest, because I think they need someone who's a bit more um, maybe charismatic and uh, can kind of lead that club from uh, not just kind of being uh, a manager who gets results. I think I think they need something a bit more... Um, I don't know who they'd go for, if I'm honest. I think Xabi Alonso could be that guy. Uh, De Zerbi, I'm sure they'd consider. There's probably the mm. candidates in the frame as well, but I don't see them going after uh, Emery, if I'm being totally honest, because I think, again, a lot of his success, Emery, has been because he's been allowed to just focus on his football. He's got, as we keep saying, the people behind him, the people he's been allowed to uh, bring into the football club. That's a, ma- a major reason why uh, he's having so much success because he's not focusing on everything else, which Klopp was. You know, he mentioned in his interview that he's so tired and uh, he's, he's kind of just gassed out now because he's got so much more to do than just <clears throat> manage his players on, uh, sorry, coach his players, whereas Emery has got less tasks. He's, he works as hard as, well, 
more than anyone probably else uh, in the Premier League in terms of, you know, he probably sleeps at bottom, all that sort of thing. But that's solely to coach the players, not to do everything else, um, mm. which is, you know, the many more jobs that Klopp did as well. And I'd expect the new Liverpool manager would take on a lot of those tasks as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to use the word charismatic and this is just a thought completely off the top of my head and it's probably such a lazy link so I'm just going with the Spanish thing. But the Liverpool kind of connection to me feels that Emery would be more of a fit like a Rafa Benitez at Liverpool who's a very successful manager for them but it's not the same kind of, from an external opinion, of course I'm not a Liverpool fan, it's not the same kind of character as a Jurgen Klopp who now they've had a taste of that for, what, seven or eight years, is it? that He's like the guy, he leads everything, he's the one... Um, He's kind of their king, if you like. He, um, he's taken. wasn't that? He didn't have that same kind of personality. And I, I love Unai Emery. You're right. I don't know that he would have that same kind of command that Jurgen Klopp has, or that, that character has as a coach. Absolutely, yeah, he's right up there. So I don't think that he's a great fit for Liverpool as a personality. But I do think, as I said before, like having a talismanic-like figure. I think Unai yeah, yeah. can be that because he's that for us. But I'm not sure yeah. that he quite fit in at Liverpool. So no, to the original question, I'm not. Klopp's taken a lot of heat off FSG as well. You know, that ownership yes. part as yes. well. There's these huge questions over that, but then Klopp's completely taken everything um, out of it. So they'll be, you know, nervous now about the next appointment because, you know, the Zerbi could easily just call them out in a press conference or something. So they have to be very careful um, that that manager is someone capable of what... <clears throat> Sorry, I need water. Someone that's working with them, uh, not just to get results, but B, as you say, done much more than just a coach who works with the players on the pitch. And I'm not saying that Emery's limited to just that, by the way. I'm just saying that he's that's what he wants and that's what he's got at Villa. So why would he mm-hmm. go elsewhere to take on more jobs, more responsibility when there's absolutely no um, kind of uh, you know guarantee of success? And as you said earlier, he's already done the post Wenger that that role that's been you know it's been labelled as so post Klopp. I don't think something that um, something that Villa fans should be worried about. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we're going to move on to the Morgan Rogers stuff now because I did say we would talk about it. There's three questions about him. First one from Darren. He says, are we getting excited about a championship player that has struggled to break into the first team at every other club he's been at because he's a great player or because Unai Emery wants to sign him? Brackets. I think Middlesbrough are taking the P on price <laughs> as well. He didn't say P, but you can work out what he did say. I really like Morgan Rogers. Um, actually, I think he's a very, very talented player. He's raw, as is John Duran. Um, we've seen other players come into the club and do well um, that have got the kind of the raw skills and raw attributes. But it's getting that player to a level that he um, can fulfil his potential, and that's something that Unai Emery, I know, will be able to do. So I want Villa to sign Morgan Rogers, and I'd be delighted to see us complete that deal if we do. And I don't know what the next questions are, Dan, but clearly <laughs> there's a gap in valuation. Three bids now have been turned down by Borough and fair enough, they've stood firm on their valuation because they signed him um, back in the summer. They know that Premier League clubs, you know, although PSR is looming over everybody, apart from the big six, um, that they have money. <clears throat> so there's no you know, reason to suggest that all of a sudden, Middlesbrough are just going to knock down the valuation by a few million pounds or whatever. Um, but I really like Morgan Rogers, and as I say, he's a player that's got all the attributes to be a success in the Premier League and be a top player. Uh, but it's 
what move for him is best to get that out of him. And I think, firstly, he sees Villa as a huge opportunity because they're doing well, but also you've got Unai Emery, who he knows will improve him. He's a player, just speaking to people that he knows, have got a piece of ready in case he does sign. Hopefully he signs. And they all said that <clears throat> his attitude to improve is excellent. He is uh, a willing learner. He is a player who um, his best footballs come under people like Michael Appleton, Michael Carrick, you know, coaches who coach properly, um, mm. they'll sit you down and say, this is what I want you to become and here's how you're going to do it. And that's how it's you know, come about being, um, you know, a player now that Unai Emery wants to sign. So I'm, I would be very excited if he signed for the club. I really would. Um, I think there's a lot, that, sorry, there's not a lot that you can look at in terms of, oh, but he's only scored this amount of goals in the championship and he's only done this, he's only done that. That's, to me, vastly irrelevant. <laughs> it's, you know, if you want to go down that down that route, it's got the most goals in the Carabao Cup and I think he's got five goal contributions in his last seven games. So he's clearly turned that around. Um, he's now settled at Middlesbrough, playing for a team who relied on Chubarak, Cameron Archer and Aaron Ramsey last year, who are all now not there. So it was always going to be a struggle for Burr at the start of the season. It's going to be difficult for him to settle. He's moving up to Teesside. He doesn't know anyone there. It's he's he was twenty when he when he made that move. He's twenty one at the moment. Um, so I think now he's starting to show those um, those kind of doubters about what kind of talent he does have, and I think that's reflected in his price. Burr bought him for cheap and realised, oh, we actually have a player here now, like a you know that's ready to kind of make that move, and that's why they've set the price that they have, um, and that's also why Emery wants him. So I'm excited by it, and I think once or if sorry he joins Villa, there's certainly a player there that uh, I think will flourish under Emery in the years to come. But yeah, and just as a side note, obviously him moving back to um, you know back to the West Midlands as well, I think would benefit him too. Yeah, absolutely. That's the point I was going to make uh, when you talk about stats and stuff. The next question, uh, if I find the right tab, was from Simon. He says, when we signed Alex Moreno, the reaction on social media was negatively over the top. So why are so many getting their knickers in a twist? It's great saying that is. About potentially signing Morgan Rogers rather than just trusting that Unai Emery might know better than they do. Uh, you mentioned his stats. The few comments coming in live as we talk. Uh, Steve says Morgan's stats are not good. Uh, Andy says Morgan is not better than Archer. Simple. Uh, Christopher asks, is Morgan Rogers a cheap Jacob Ramsey replacement? Uh, Morgan is being hyped. I hadn't heard of him, heard of him until recently. Uh, his stats are okay, to be honest. 33 appearances this season, seven goals, eight assists for a 21-year-old. Five of those goals in the League Cup, as you mentioned. Uh, two goals, six assists in the Championship and 14 starts, 12 uh, sub-appearances. Yeah, obviously it's not glowing, but it's you talking about a 40 million pound player. Yeah, Ollie Watkins had like two goals before Emery took over and now he's the second best striker in the Premier League. I just, yeah, but... there's, there really isn't much you can take from just looking at stat websites and, and saying <clears throat> he's got this amount of goals. You need to you know, look at the underlying numbers, look at how he plays against Chelsea. He'd run at players and yes, he'd lose the ball a few times, but then he'd score a brilliant goal at the end of the game. He's 21, he's raw, but he's got a lot of potential. Emery wants him. Emery's one of the best coaches in European football. That's the self me already. Like he's, yeah, I'm, I'd be very excited if he joined. I know he's a player um, that Manchester City were desperate to sign when he was uh, 17. I know, you know, players join clubs and it doesn't always work out, but City pushed the boat out to get him from West Brom. He didn't want to leave West Brom at the time, but West Brom as a financial decision, sold him for £4 million. And then he's had different loan moves and those loan moves might not have looked like it works, looked like it had worked, sorry. If you go on stat websites and you look how many games he's played, oh, he didn't start many games at Bournemouth. But those experiences are what shapes a player. That that's the big thing. Like 
Harry Kane, for example, he went on different low moves, had a bit of success some places, didn't play at others. And look what that made of him. So this is a player who's got an attitude to learn and improve. He's not coming to Villa for, oh, they're offering me more money or whatever. That might not even be the case. I don't know. He's coming, oh, sorry, he wants to come to Villa to improve as a footballer. Um, he knows that he'd settle straight away. He knows uh, Jacob Ramsey, Kane Kessler, Timmy Rubenham, Steve Hopcroft, uh, Mark Harrison, all these people um, at the club. I just think it's a move that makes sense for all parties. Um, Borough think otherwise and they obviously want to keep him, which again speaks volumes to the player that he is because they know that they could get money for him if they wanted now, but they know that they want to... Um, oh, sorry, they know that they could get more and they could probably get more in the summer potentially as well because he's probably yeah. going to have a good second half of the season. If he gets you know, what's expected of him, I don't know, 15 goals potentially, uh, which would be a lot for the second half of the season. But the form that he's showing is, you know, kind of correlates to that really. Um, then you'd be looking at more money again. So yeah, I really like him. And I think it's definitely a player that would improve Villa, maybe not straight away, but in the coming years. And that's um, that's the end of the game. Yeah, the three words you said about two minutes ago, Emery wants him. That's enough for me. Like I'm very yeah. simplistic in this approach. If we sign him and I don't rate him, means absolutely nothing. I could, if I don't think he's any good, but we sign him, doesn't matter, does it? I can't influence the decision at all. If Uno Emery, Monchi and the team of scouts around him, they all trust and work together well, yes, not every sign they make is going to work. But if those guys think this is worth doing now for 15-odd million in January, rather than wait for him to have a decent second half of the season and Borough want 25 million, then trust I trust them to go and do it. There's no better, or there's few coaches in the Premier League that can pr- have proven to coach young players better than Unai Emery. There's probably two or three in, in the entire league that I would think, okay, put them in that team and they'll probably be a better player for it. Yeah. And as we said before, uh, a couple of weeks ago with Ndelkovic, even if Morgan Rodgers doesn't become an outstanding success like an Ollie Watkins, who we think is now world-class and is worth 70, 80 million or whatever, at 15 million and 21 years old, if he's okay for Villa, Villa aren't going to lose anything. It's such a low-risk deal, really, in the grand scheme of things. 15, 17 million, whatever it is Borough actually wants and what it finally settles on. Do you know what I mean? That Even if we say him to a, yeah. a Bournemouth in two years' time, it, we're probably going to make most of our money back. Like, it's such a low-risk, yeah, high-potential reward. The, the point you make is right, Dan. Uh, I do think the money that we're going to put up for him, though, will be kind of more of a risk than, you know... Because we spent 99 million on John Duran. And he hadn't done anything before yeah, then either. No, I know. But if John Duran doesn't work out, then that's nearly 20 million down the drain. So I, I, I get your point about like Novelkovic, 6 million or rising to nine or whatever it is. That's, um, that's, I think that is quite low risk. But I think for Rodgers, you are paying a pretty decent chunk for a player who um, is playing well in the championship. I think that's more of a, a risk as such. But you are right. There's a huge amount of um, upturn. There's a you know, there's a lot of uh, promise in the player, and certainly the player could go on to be worth a lot more than that. So um, I, I t- mm. certainly take your point there. Yeah, the probably the flip side of that argument is I don't think it would not be a success. I think there is potential there for this to be a player that works. I'll I'll do it. <laughs> that off, off. Oh yeah, I'm hoping it does, but I think that will be the case. Uh, Villa have got a decent record of signing players from the Championship over the, the last few years, and, and Emery has got a good track record of coaching youth players. So. If Morgan Rogers, Morgan Rogers is talented, Villa will find something within him, and hopefully that will benefit Aston Villa directly in their first team. And if it doesn't, it will it will help their balance sheets in three, four seasons of time. The yeah. final question of the show comes from Connor, who says, and this is the case of Morgan Rogers has signed and will sign. He says, "Do you feel like the Morgan Rogers signing will mean Musa Diaby plays out wide?" 
and Rogers plays the second striker role, or is it just a case of him coming in and working his way in wherever he gets a chance? Yeah, well, this is the interesting part because he's a very versatile player, which is obviously something that works in his favour, uh, Rogers. This is, he can play on, he, I think, predominantly off the left is his probably, you know, his preferred position as such, kind of like um, Rashford always says that, doesn't he? He's kind of similar in that regard. Uh, but he can play, you know, behind a striker or as a striker as well. So I think it's, it'll be interesting to see what Emery wants from him and when he, sorry, if he was to sign, when he sits him down and says, this is what I want from you. Um, I want to be in that conversation because I don't know myself what exactly he has planned. If Rogers joins, does that mean Duran is then third choice striker? I don't know. And then is there a situation this summer where Duran would then leave? I, again, that's just literal speculation. I'm not sure. Or would he kind of compete for that position on the left with um, Jacob Ramsey and where Tielemans is playing that kind of half space there? So uh, what we are getting though is a player that can play across a number of positions. And again, that's a big bonus. It's not just the kind of attributes and potentially he has. This is a player that can be moulded into basically anything that Emery wants, um, which again is a major reason why um, he's so interested in the player. Mm-hmm. Okay, that will call it a day there, John. I know you wanted to be finished by 12. It's 11.59, so timekeeping <laughs> on the on the spot today. Uh, thank you very much for giving your time. You're at Bodymore Heath this afternoon to speak to an Emery. Yeah. Uh, any breaking lines from that will be on the Birmingham Live website and your social media pages. Uh, we mm-hmm. won't do another podcast now before the Newcastle game, so consider this our Newcastle preview, <laughs> which we've not really talked about Newcastle <laughs> at all, which I think, I think I put Newcastle in the title to begin with, so I'm going to have to change that uh, for the audio version. Very quickly, do you think we'll win tomorrow? What's the score prediction? so I can write it down for our document uh, God um, I think it'll be a draw to be honest but um, I'll say 2-1 Villa 2-1 Villa okay I'll make a note of that yeah. for later um, yeah Newcastle preview done in 30 seconds uh, John thanks for joining me <laughs> thanks everyone for watching along live on YouTube or Facebook thanks for your questions and comments uh, I hope I've integrated them okay throughout uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, get involved in uh, the rating system there leave us a review all those things are very helpful uh, we'll be back next time with the post-match show for Newcastle United which will be tomorrow very late uh, I don't expect to get home till 11 11.30 so it'll be a quick 20 20 five minute one tomorrow evening Tuesday uh, and then it's Sheffield United on Saturday so we will have uh, an inside body more preview show for that later in the week um, and it's deadline day isn't it on is it Thursday morning Thursday 11pm 11, 11pm oh, 11 uh, I was thinking it was like the Wednesday night but it's the end of Thursday yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. so uh, if Villa do sign Morgan Rogers or anyone else uh, and we feel like we need to talk about them in more detail we will do a bonus show on Wednesday or Thursday so plenty of content coming on Claret and Blue this week stay tuned stay subscribed and uh, we'll see you tomorrow evening cheers everyone cheers.